Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohiv Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And before we discuss uh, our podcast for this week, I wanted to issue the major disclaimer that we are going to be talking about very sensitive material related to the story of Dina. And if this is something that is going to be triggering um, and traumatizing, please exercise tremendous caution um, before listening and when considering to listen. And if there's anything that you would ever like to discuss, I'm always available. Um, The best way to reach me is at my email address, maharatruth at ostns.org. So this week we are looking at Parshat Vayishlach, which contains the story of Dina. And many people think of it actually as the story of the rape of Dina. But as we're going to talk about today, it's not clear that it should was necessarily considered as a rape. And we're actually, we're going to look at the story from a couple of different vantage points to try to understand it and look at exactly what happened with the story of Dina that occupies a big part of our Parsha. So like all good stories in the Torah, in all dynamic stories in the Torah, the circumstances of what happened with Dina are not entirely clear. We are told in the first verse in chapter 34 that Dina, the daughter whom Leah had born to Yaakov, went out to visit the daughters of the land. Literally translates as, to to look upon the daughters of the land. So she goes out to see what the women from the other nations are doing. Now, what happens here in verse two is really the subject of the debate. So Shechem, the son of Chamor, the Chivi, who was chief of the country, saw her. And he saw her. And he took her, and then he lay with her, meaning he slept with her, v'yaneha. Now, the GPS translates this here as lay with her by force. So the GPS here is translating this already as Shechem ben Chamor raped Dina. But as many scholars point out, um, and many academics point out, the word v'yaneha is a complicated word in Hebrew. It doesn't have just one meaning. Yes, it can, at times it is associated with rape, but it can also be associated with a lowering, a more general lowering in dignity um, and some kind of like negative word that implies doing something negative, but not necessarily rape specifically. Now that enables two lines of interpretation to emerge of exactly what happened to Dina. Is it that Shechem ben Chamor saw her and raped her, like seized her and raped her? Or is it that Shechem ben Chamor saw her and slept with her and in so doing reduced her status, made her less dignified amongst her family and amongst her community? So those are the two really, the the broad two interpretations. And what I wanted to do now is to trace the story and what the story is based on those two interpretations. Now, if you're going to understand this, as Shechem ben Chamor raped her, then what happens next is that Shechem loves her. He, He becomes more and more drawn to her, more and more attracted to her afterwards. And to the point where he says to his father, Chamor, get me her as a wife. 
And then Yaakov doesn't know what to do. He waits for his sons to come home. They hear, they get very, very angry at what has happened. Um, and so when Hamor comes to them and says, hey, my, my son Shem wants, you know, wants to marry her, please can we work this out? Well, um, then, uh, you know, what happens is Shimon and Levi, or really all the sons, they, they, return, they respond back to Hamor, as the text tells us, Bemirma with guile and say, you know what? The only way that we can work this out is if all of your men, you know, all of your men, they can marry our daughters. We can make this whole, a whole merging of two communities. We can make this work if you're willing to get circumcised. And you know, Hamur is so eager to please his son Shrem. He says, okay, you know what? We can pull this off. We'll have all of our men get circumcised. And so they do so because they really want Shrem to be able to marry Dina. They really want to be able to merge their community um, with, with, uh, with Yaakov's family. And so they do it. And then of course, as we know, on the third day, Shimon and Levi, when the men are the weakest and they're in the most pain, Shimon and Levi go out and they kill everyone and seize everything, the women, the animals, the stuff, all of it. It's a mass murder, a, a, just a total annihilation of the men in that community and a seizing of everything else for their own gain. And then Yaakov gets really angry at Shimon and Levi because he says, what are you doing? Right? You're, you're tarnishing our name. This is, you're going to make it impossible for us to live here. And Shimon and Levi, they respond by saying, Should our sister be treated like a whore? And boom, that's the end of the story. Now, let's go back and trace it again. If you understand this, not as an issue of rape, but as an issue of Dina sleeping with a man from a, a local nearby Canaanite tribe. So let's go back to the beginning again. Shechem sees Dina, takes her, sleeps with her, and therefore degrades, you know, degrades her name, um, and lowers her dignity, etc. But the problem is Shechem falls in love with her, says to Hamor, I want to marry her. Um, and then, so then they propose this to Yaakov's, to Yaakov's sons, to Yaakov's family, say, hey, let's intermarry our two communities, right? Our daughters will marry each other. Like, let's work this out. And, um, and then, and then the brothers respond well and saying, actually, okay. Um, but you guys all have to get circumcised before we can all intermarry. And then they go out and of course, murder everyone and take all the women, etc. And then insist at the end, well, our daughter, our sister should not be treated like a whore right? For having done this. And so if we're going to understand it according to intermarriage, of course, much of the story is the same, but the undercurrents are much different. If this was a situation, not where Dina was raped, but where her, she was lowered in esteem because she slept with um, Shechem, then the proposed solution to this was, well, hey, let's all so-called stoop to that level, right? Hamor comes and says, let's all intermarry. Let's all become one big, happy, you know, community, two different people. We'll all mush our DNA. We'll, we'll, we'll intermarry. We'll all, you know, marry each other and we'll create one big happy family. And the response is, okay, fine, but you have to be willing to accept some of our terms of the um of the circumcision and then really what the intent is is to completely destroy knock out this entire people and seize all of the women and children and property and everything for yourself so then it becomes a massive i mean it could not be bolder statement against intermarriage right and in saying that what happened we do not taint 
the blood of the Jews, now I'm not saying that this course is when we think about intermarriage today, I'm saying it back then in the context of the Torah. You do not taint the Israelite blood by marrying with local Canaanite tribes. That is not how we do things here, right? Which of course we know is very true to the Torah, right? We are very cautious of mixing with other peoples. And we don't, you know, we're instructed multiple times, don't mix with the Canaanites, the local, you know, people, you stick to your own in that respect. And so this becomes, a, you know, sort of almost like a polemical story, warning against this and making it clear under no absolute terms, I mean, they're most absolute terms, you never compromise on that. Never, ever, ever. And if someone dares suggest that you do, someone takes that dignity away from you, you go out and you kill everyone. Now, of course, the, the, it's important for us to remember that it's not so clear that Shimon and Levi acted correctly here because Yaakov does condemn them. That's a separate conversation of where Shimon and Levi right or wrong here. So it's not so clear. But looking at the story itself, that seems to be what happened. But now I want to return. Oh, and by the way, before I say that, I should say one more thing. Textually, frankly, if you're asking me, I think that this interpretation makes more sense. That it's not about rape. It's about mixing with other communities. Because I think that it's more, it's more true to what's happening in this text and more literal and circumstantially much clearer. However, I think that there are amazing drushes and amazingly powerful lessons for us about what if we understand that it is about rape. And so even though textually, I think it's the most honest is that it's about intermarriage here, I wanted to now return to what if this is about rape. Now, if it turns out that instead of it being about intermarriage, what happened is that Shechem ben Hamor raped Dina, then this raises a very interesting question about the text. Because we know that what is the punishment, what is, what is the consequence for a man who rapes a virgin, according to the Torah? The consequence is he has to marry that woman. Now, of course, the Torah is in no place ever taking into account the woman's experience of this. And so many of us, when we hear this, we're, we're horrified, we're sick to our stomach that a man rapes a woman and now she has to live with him for the rest of his life, her life. But we have to consider the Torah from the man's perspective, which is that if a man rapes a woman, a virgin is specifically here, then her status is, first of all, lowered in terms of her bride price. And also, you know, she's now tainted good, so to speak. I mean, it's a grotesque way of speaking about someone, but that's the reality of what it is. And so when a man has to marry her then, what he's saying, first of all, he has to pay that price, literally pay. But also there's no such thing as just, you know, raping someone, transforming their social status in their life forever and then running away. It is something you have to confront for the rest of your life. It's something you have to live with for the rest of your life. And you may not, you know, rape a woman um, and then pretend like it never happened. It will literally follow you around. It becomes part of your social status, part of your family, part of your financial obligations. And in that respect, it's actually a very powerful punishment. Now, the problem here is that that is exactly what Shechem proposes that they do. If you say that he rapes Dina, well, then it's exactly what he wants to do. He says, I want to marry her. Not only that, I want our communities to mingle. I want our stuff to be shared. Like, if it's about the the, the family of the victim not being harmed, not being lowered down, not losing any money here, well, that doesn't hold up because that is exactly what Shechem proposes. And so then we have a big problem when it turns out that the brothers are all scheming and Shimon and Levi are going to go out and kill everyone, right? 
Well, if they were so-called, you know, I don't want to say atoning because it's not like they are, it's not like Shechem is recognizing this as a punishment. But if he's going to do exactly what the Torah says a man should do when he rapes a virgin, then how come Shimon and Levi? They go out and kill them. They should welcome this as that as Shechem and Chamor being willing to pay back what they did. And that is where I think very, very interesting statements emerge about and com subtle commentaries on rape and how just how how horrific of a crime it is, and exactly what a man really should suffer if, God forbid, if he rapes a woman. Now, let's let's first explore that by looking at the last pasuk again. Right, Yaakov says to the Shimon and Levi and the sons, he's very upset. He's done nothing. He's acted. He's done nothing. He's had no idea what to do this entire chapter, right? He's completely paralyzed between a rock and a hard place. And the brothers now have to act on his behalf because he's doing nothing. And in the very end in verse 30, he says to Shimon and Levi, you've brought me a lot of trouble by doing this. You're tarnishing our reputation. You're going to make this impossible. We're going to get us killed. And they respond, should our sister be like a whore? Now the Sworno here says something very interesting, and he believes that Dina was raped. So in the context of Dina being raped, why does he say, why do the brothers say, what should she be like a whore? And he says, because what is, what is the, an issue with a zona? So because a zona doesn't have anyone to stand up for her, to defend her. She doesn't have a family to go avenge her. Here, Shechem, ha I mean, Dina has a family. Shechem did a disgusting, horrible thing to Dina. And he should like they need Dina needs to have someone stand up for her, someone who is going to avenge her disgrace. And apparently he understands what Shimon and Levi, when they respond to our sister be treated like a whore, what they're really saying is once everyone they, they once people see, we have to stand up for her because it's the right thing for us to do. And they suggest he, the Sforno suggests is what they're saying is when everyone else sees what really happened, that Shechem raped Dina, they will understand what we are doing and they will have no reason to attack us. Now, this is a very interesting statement here because what the Sforno is saying, I mean, I don't think he would necessarily say this explicitly, but what we can read into what he's saying is that the punishment mandated by the Torah for rape is not actually sufficient because if everyone else is gonna understand why Shimon and Levi did what they did and therefore back down and not punish them. Well, that's saying that the punishment for rape wouldn't be enough because if they all, they all, all intermarried, it wouldn't really be enough. He's speaking, I think, to that more um, core, almost primal element of us that sees rape and says, this is a sickening, awful thing. That when a man rapes a woman or a person rapes another person, it's not just a momentary thing that can never really be repaid. It is something that haunts them and follows them for the rest of their lives. And that that is something here that justifies Shimon and Levi going out and killing, murdering, slaughtering all of the men in that town. While, by the way, they're in an extremely vulnerable position because they had been circumcised three days prior. And just to, 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 to drive that point home, if we look back a little bit earlier in the chapter, when Shimon, when the brothers are speaking with Shechem and Chamor, and they say, you know what, we'll go along, they're speaking Bemirma, right, with deceptively, and they say, um, they say, you know, if it's okay, fine, we will intermarry with you, but 
you know, you have to be willing to get circumcised for us. And in, in verse 17, if you won't listen to this requirement, then we will take our daughter and we will leave. Now there's a problem here because Dina is not their daughter. Dina is their sister. And in fact, in other places in this chapter is referred to correctly as their sister. So why now here suddenly are they saying, if you don't go along with us, we're going to take our daughter and go. And what I think is going on here is that it's actually the text is giving us this subtle hint that here the brothers are actually standing in for their father. Now, remember, the punishment for rape is that the man who the rapist pays has to pay the father. Right? It's, it's an exchange that is worked out between the rapist and the girl's father. And now here, I wonder if this is almost a slip of the tongue in saying that actually the brothers here are acting as the father, which means that what should a father of a girl who was raped actually really want to do? They should really want to orchestrate an entire scheme to, 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 to kill that man, frankly, the rapist. That, that, that's what we should actually really want in our blood, in our kishkis, is to, to, lash, to respond to that person with the ultimate punishment, with a capital punishment, that it should arouse in us that burning desire to do so. Now, I can't speak to why the Torah doesn't mandate capital punishment in rape. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a legal scholar. I'm not a scholar of ancient legal systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the punishment that was decided. And frankly, I mean, I, I have no idea if there's ever been a society that did mandate that in, here for, for a virgin specifically. Um, but, but that's not what the punishment is at the end of the day. But it's very important here for us to realize that the Torah, it, it's almost like we're sorting this out from a psychological perspective here. And that one of the subtle messages of the entire story of Dina, if we understand it as rape, is that the solution, the punishment that is prescribed in the Torah is actually woefully inadequate. And if a person does rape another person, even if the Torah doesn't mandate capital punishment, really they are worthy of the most gruesome death and the most gruesome mur murder and the annihilation of their memory from the world. And given the world we live in, I think that it's a very important message for us to remember and, and something to consider. And it's a powerful reminder that we should never, ever, ever downplay rape and sexual violence and the lasting effects it can have on someone. So I, I end on a very serious note here, but I think it's a very important message for us. Shabbat shalom.